Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. Today, I'm excited to welcome uh, Akila Ali, who will discuss Asia's solar energy sector. Akila is an equity analyst at Lightstream Research, covering Asia auto components and MLCC stocks. She has over five years of experience in investment research, covering multiple industries, including auto components, MLCCs, telecommunications, and case trends. Akila actually wrote a very in-depth Smart Karma original insight on the topic, to which this webinar serves as a companion. So I encourage you all to read it afterwards. It is extremely interesting. With that, Akila, let me welcome you to the webinar and uh, please take it away at, uh, at your pace. Yes. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that introduction. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Akila Ali. Uh, my background is in accounting and finance. And as Michael said, I've worked as an equity analyst for Lightroom Research for over the past five years, covering emerging technologies like case, IoT, and renewables. Uh, in this webinar, as Michael said, we will be taking a look at Asia's solar energy sector. So the key topics that we will be covering are these. We'll look at solar energy, which is the fastest growing renewable energy, PV, or photovoltaics, which is uh, the key type of solar technology, which Asian country leads, a look at the PV value chain, the leading Asian solar players uh, who are mostly subsidy dependent. To start off with, I will give you guys a quick insight on how important Asian solar energy is for the global renewables market. We know that Asia contributes around 54% of the renewable energy capacity and of the renewable sources, though solar energy for now mainly photovoltaics is still small compared to wind and hydropower, it is the fastest growing renewables energy type. A larger share of renewable additions is being made for solar PVs, making PVs the key solar technology. However, there are two other types of solar technologies, which we will be looking at now. So the three main solar technologies are photovoltaic, concentrated solar power or CSP, solar heating and cooling, or we will, which we will call CHC. Taking a quick look at these three technologies as shown in the table, PV, which is what investors most commonly think of when discussing solar, is the mainstream technology. It is more easily adapted than CSP and can be used for large-scale applications. CSP, on the other hand, uses solar energy to heat a liquid, which will then be used to generate electricity. This technology can also be used for large-scale uh, purposes, but it is comparatively the most difficult technology to build, takes time, and requires the most investment. For these reasons, this technology is still underdeveloped compared to PV. SHC is quite widely used, however, only for small scale purposes. As such, we do not think this particular technology will have much potential to grow for commercial use. When choosing which of the technologies to use, obviously consideration must be paid to the energy requirement, the cost that investors are willing to incur, and the scale of the project. While this is the general rule for selecting a technology, having looked at these three technology in detail, 
we feel that CSP technology is yet to develop completely and appears to have potential for growth in the sector, while PVs will continue to be the mainline technology. Uh, growth in solar PVs has uh, been quite, it has accelerated over the past decade, but still currently meets only around 3% of global electricity demand. And this could grow to become a dominant share, like 20% over the medium term, as most countries are aiming at targets on that order. So the question is, which Asian countries will contribute to such growth? Amongst the Asian countries, as we can see here, China leads the way in all three types of solar tech, PV, CSP, and CHC. India and Japan are still small scale when compared to China. So the three important countries, in our opinion, three Asian countries that we've looked at in our original is China, India, and Japan. So we focus on these three countries and having looked at these Asian countries and their position in the solar energy market and their strategy towards growth in the solar energy and renewable energy as a whole, we highlight the following. China undoubtedly leads the solar market globally. India has high potential for growth. However, uncertainty in pol government policies and lack of uh, support from the government and investment has restricted growth thus far. Japan, with its innovation, has been continuously developing its renewable energy market, but is yet to make its mark. So the country's lack of sunlight and mountain terrains usually make it difficult for them to erect large uh, solar plants when compared to India, China, and even other uh, emerging markets in Asia, which also explains why they lag uh, in terms of the ranking. In terms of the technology used, which is the three technologies, PV, CSP, and CHC, we note that China is targeting uh, 20 CSP plants. Therefore, we believe that China currently uh, has a larger focus on CSP because to an extent they have already grown their PV market. Uh, in India, we feel that policies and subsidy provisions are provided to develop all three technologies equivalently and no specific technology is targeted. Japan's proposals are for uh, its long-term emission reduction and are focused more on the transportation, uh, transportation sector and uh, zero emission buildings. Thus, the country is likely to follow its normal strategy of resorting to uh, PVs while continuing their R&D in um, CSPs. So that is uh, the uh, overall outlook uh, of the key important points to be noted about the three uh, Asian countries in the solar energy market. Moving on, of the three technologies we just discussed and how they differ from country to country, the most elaborate value chain is that of solar PVs. Hence, we will be discussing or taking a look at the PV value chain and looking at uh, if the Chinese players do dominate at every stage of the value chain. So before we could get into the PV value chain itself, I would note that PV cells are of four main types, as you can see here. So we have the wafer-based crystalline, the thin films, the high efficiency cells, and the PV cells made of organic materials. So the wafer-based crystalline PV cells are produced using solar wafers and can be further divided into mono and multi-crystalline. Mono, as the name indicates, uses uses a single crystal growth method, whereas multi uh, uses smaller crystals for the solar panels. Thin films are produced by depositing very thin layers of semiconductive materials uh, onto cheaper backing materials like stainless steel, plastic, or glass. 
High efficiency cells are made up of a high efficiency semiconductor material called gallium arsenide. And these were first developed for space applications. And then we have PV cells that are made up of different kinds of organic materials. Of the different types of these four main types of PV cells, we know that wafer-based uh, crystalline PV cells and thin film cells have been commercialized on large scale thus far. And are the two key types of PV technologies used by the um, solar players so far. Um, taking a look at the value chain now for the solar PVs, it mainly involves silicon purification, where silicon is converted into ingots and then cut into wafers. The solar cells are then produced, assembled into solar panel, installed, and then used for electricity generation. Splitting these, uh, the stages of the value chain into upstream, midstream, and downstream, we know that silicon purification, ingots, and wafer manufacturing form the upstream, while cell production, module assembly are the midstream in the value chain. Installation, electricity generation form the downstream. The key point we note through our value chain analysis is that the downstream players enjoy a relatively high margin when compared to the others. Solar manufacturing in general is considered low a low margin business, but upstream companies are usually chosen by customers based on the brand uh, and involves a higher investment and running cost. For these reasons, their margins are usually limited. The downstream product services in contrast allow manufacturers to retain high margins, which is a recent trend that can be observed today is that PV manufacturers across the value chain, especially those players in the midstream are increasingly involving themselves with the downstream services. So to further analyze how the margins differ across upstream, midstream and downstream, uh, we compare the margins of Vivint Solar, a US company specifically catering to the downstream of the solar PV value chain with two upstream and midstream companies, JA Solar and Ginko Solar. Although Vivint Solar made losses over 2013-2016, over the last few quarters, despite the large fluctuations, Vivint Solar have remained higher, uh, higher than those uh, Vivint Solar's margins have been uh, higher than the other two companies. Again, making the point that downstream players do generate a higher margin. We then went ahead and researched the key players at each key stages of the value chain. And unsurprisingly, China dominates overall. In the upstream, which mainly includes cell manufacturing, heavy investment is required to enter the wafer market. Hence, there are high barriers to entry with the market being controlled by a few players, though mostly Japanese, as we can see here as ingot manufacturers. Chinese players do exist still and have some share of the market. If we consider cell manufacturing and module manufacturing, they have low barriers to entry and hence are highly competitive. The players who engage in module manufacturing are also, also conduct uh, cell manufacturing. Um, the key players being mostly Chinese players, or all Chinese players, Jinko, JA, Trina, and Longi are some of the highlighted players there. These players are in the midstream and get their supplies from the domestic Chinese third-party suppliers, uh, such from companies such as Tongwei. Also, we note, uh, having looked at these players, is that Longai, which uh, is a Chinese company, 
uh, is the only company which covers the full solar PV value chain. Moving to the downstream, we note that the downstream usually includes a large number of wholesalers, who many of whom do not operate globally. As we mentioned previously, Vivin Solar is one such company, however, does not secure a leading position in Asia's solar industry. As such, we consider PV manufacturers, PV manufacturers who engage in vertical integration of the supply chain by increasing their presence downstream. Uh, for instance, Longe is in the leading position uh, here, is mainly involved in the manufacturing of ingots and wafers, which are upstream. However, the company now is uh, for itself and modules is focusing on providing custom engaged services, keeping up its presence in the downstream. The trend is that in Asia, the players in the upstream and midstream are moving downstream rather than the other way around. So taking into consideration the players at each stages of the value chain, the leading players, and also having done some research on the leading players domestically in India and Japan, we have shortlisted the key Asian players. Having analyzed these companies, the key points we highlight country-wise are that Chinese players generate relatively low profitability or are making losses despite their lead leading position globally. Moreover, the Chinese players are also mostly listed companies, except for Tongwei, Santec, and Jingli. We know that Santec and Jingli were also listed, uh, but have both become unlisted now due to the increased debt burdens. The Indian players, however, are mostly private companies or a part of a listed uh, part of listed parent and generate attractive profitability, at least according to the information available. The reason for this could be the country's attractive government policies or growing support from the government. Uh, with regard to the Japanese players, we know that these players do not solely focus on solar energy products like the Chinese and Indian players, but instead they operate solar energy as a business segment for which they expect long-term growth prospects. The Japanese players are also relatively less profitable when compared to the Indian players. They are also struggling. Certain companies are making uh, losses as well. And they aim to price higher and increase product types in order to maintain profits. So that is the uh, general strategy the Japanese players follow. We then provided a roundup on these players so we have the roundup on the Chinese listed players and on the unlisted players as well. We provided an investment thesis for the listed players. And in our opinion, having looked at the fundamentals and the valuation multiples of these listed players, we are more favorably inclined towards Longi and JA Solar for their attractive fundamentals and ability to capture opportunities in the market. Longi Solar especially um, generates margins of around 19% and strong uh, revenue growth rates over the past five years. We also note that as you can see in red, these players all face the risk of subsidy removal. However, as long as they can mitigate the effect by moving to developing countries, which they are planning to do, the negative impact could be minimized. In terms of the unlisted players, we consider Tongwei to be a rather attractive private company for its business model of purchasing wafers and slicing them to solar panels, thereby only focusing on one part of the value chain. Moreover, the company's shingled module technology with heterojunction technology is likely to see growth in the future. That is a key differentiation factor we think Tongwei uh, holds. 
subsidy removal, of course, is a risk for Tongwe as well. But we believe uh, the strong profitability position Tongwe claims to be in and its presence over in over 20 countries should help them eliminate such risks as such uh, increases are favored towards Tongwe as a private company. Santec and Yingli, though leading the solar market, are struggling financially. Santec was delisted due to a bond default, while Yingli filed for insol insolvency last year. The reasons for this, the reason for this was their focus on upstream while being subsidy dependent. So having uh, looked at all of these players, we found a few similarities amongst them. The key points are, firstly, most of the leading solar energy players on our list are starting to uh, increasingly focus downstream rather than upstream, except ingot and wafer manufacturers are exceptional as they are part of the upstream anyhow, anyway, but are attempting to increase downstream presence. Next, the Chinese, Japanese and Indian players are all aiming to capture the potential demand in developing countries, especially ASEAN. We believe that this is a key long-term driver for the players, given the potential demand for growth in the developing countries when compared to countries like China and Japan, where demand growth has slowed. We also highlight the need for governmental, uh, government policy support in these developing countries to make it easier for the solar energy players to maintain their pricing and profitability. Therefore, while they, are in, they want to move to ASEAN countries, it would be necessary for them to have uh, necessary government support as well. In terms of technology, most of the players follow a similar technology, which is the crystalline technology. However, certain players like JA Solar, Santec, Vikram Solar, Tongwei and Longi, uh, they adopt a varied type of crystalline technology like the half cut modules, the shingle module, the monopassivated emitter and rear cells, which is known as the PERC and the heterojunction technology HJT, which we previously mentioned that Tongwei adopts. So these varied types of technologies of the crystalline itself is adapted for incremental increases in efficiency. Based on our first look at these technologies, it appears that HJT and shingle module types allow the highest potential for increases in efficiency. This technology, however, will only lead to an incremental increase in efficiency, but not a completely revolutionary change in the solar energy product itself. So a revolutionary product is yet to come, but these varied technologies will only cause an incremental increase in efficiency. We are, since, uh, that said, companies like Santec and Tongwei on our list have a slight competitive advantage over the other players, given their head start in HJT and um, shingled module type. We believe that these players capitalize, as these players capitalize on HJT and shingle technologies, the other Chinese and Indian uh, players might quickly follow, as that is the, the norm of the industry, where the players quickly follow uh, the peers' strategy, as we can see throughout the similarities. Um, on the other hand, thin film technology, we note that this is, which is mainly used for small scale purposes, is adopted by uh, the Japanese companies like Sharp and Sanyo. This also explain why Jap explains why Japan lags behind India and China. While most Indian and Chinese players adopt the monocrystalline technology, Japan still mainly uses the thin film technology, which is used for small scale purposes. Coming to the important point, it should be noted that provision of subsidy is a key factor that influences the profitability of these leading players across Asia. 
The Chinese players enjoyed good profitability in the past, but have recently been struggling with their financial performance, mainly due to the government's decision to reduce subsidies for solar energy products. As of now, the Indian players appear to be the most attractive in terms of financial performance when compared to the Chinese and the Japanese. Uh, reliance on subsidy is the real issue. This is because though solar energy is the fastest growing renewable energy in the industry, the renewable in energy industry itself is dependent upon subsidies and saw a decline in additions during 2019 due to a subsidy reduction. And Japan and China uh, locked, the locked the largest declines during the year. As Asia is the key contributor, obviously the majority of the declines came from Asia as well. So though solar PV additions continued to grow during 2019, the hint of a possible subsidy reduction has had its effect on the key players as we analyze their financial performance and also could mean that the additions may not grow as strongly in the future. The reason for the subsidy reduction is that although they help producers reduce their cost, they cost a lot to the public in terms of high electricity rates. This is the reason for Japan's low subsidy policy and relatively slow developing energy market. Would the Indian players also find themselves in a situation similar to that of the Chinese players when subsidies are removed? Firstly, we know that India is unlikely to remove its solar energy subsidies over the next 10 to 15 years, given that the industry is still at the early stages of development. China's solar energy sector has been growing since 2003 and took off really well during 2014. That is about 10 years time to really develop. As such, the Indian players are likely to benefit for some time as well. However, over the long term, subsidies could be removed and could impact the Indian companies in a similar way to the Chinese players. We feel that the Indian companies are looking to move towards the other developing market and as such could cater to other markets where subsidies are available as the market in India matures. We also note that since most of these uh, Indian solar companies are a part of large conglomerates, they are unlikely to go public until they become much larger, thereby not giving rise to much of an investment opportunity right now. Regardless, we feel that the Indian companies in their domestic market alone have high potential for growth when compared to certain other leading players. Although the Japanese players are ranked amongst the top 10, they haven't yet entirely focused on capturing growth in the solar market. Their strategy appears to be to operate via a more diversified business. Also, the less encouraging subsidy policy could be a reason for this relatively weak focus on the solar energy sector in Japan. So subsidies will continue to be crucial and we think provision of subsidies will continue in India until the industry develops. Whereas for Japan, it is key to identify what steps the Suga government will take now that it has declared a net zero emission target for 2050. So that uh, we have to wait and watch. Uh, well, that concludes my presentation on Asia solar energy. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you very much, Akila, for the in-depth presentation. This has been very interesting. In fact, as you ended with the issue of uh, subsidies, uh, I wanted to ask, would the absence of subsidies suggest that 
these companies would not be profitable anytime soon? And would that suggest that the business itself is not viable in the long term? So, well, in our opinion, uh, just as subsidies can quickly build the market, their withdrawal can carry it down as well. Uh, this effect was quite uh, evident with Europe and to an extent in China now. So the European solar subsidies slumped during the euro crisis, and this caused the European solar market to rather slow down and the related companies to struggle. And that's when really China took off. But during 2018, uh, when China limited the so, uh, solar installation that qualified for feed-in tariffs, the shares of companies like uh, Jinko Solar took a hit. So, and also having looked at the financial performances of the Chinese companies, it is quite evident that they are heavily dependent on subsidies to generate sustainable profitability. So profitability is a bit of a question for the Chinese players. But uh, we feel that the Indian companies like Vikram Solar, Adani, uh, would be able to manage the effect of a subsidy removal better. This is because even currently the policies are to an extent restricted in India and offer only modest support. Even so, the companies which are mostly private are doing reasonably well according to uh, what they claim. Uh, this could be due to the support they have from their larger parents, like we highlighted in our presentation. Thus, um, mm -hmm. given the untapped demand in India, even if subsidies are removed, the players in the country might be able to sustain profitability. So for now, the business of the Chinese players looks quite risky for their dependence on subsidies. But the solar industry, however, is likely to grow at the top line, given the untapped uh, potential in India and you know, ASEAN countries overall, though Chinese players are still struggling. Is there actually any uh, chance for a revival for some of those Chinese firms that are uh, currently struggling? Revival is likely. It is possible. For example, Suntech was a leading player, like we just mentioned. But after the 2008 supply glut, uh, the company defaulted on its bond payment and was delisted. But now as a private company, the company is doing well, at least in terms of market position. So uh, China also says that though they are limiting feed-in tariffs, they're still likely to place other subsidy alternatives to support the players. So players like JA, Trina, Longai that are facing the risk of subsidy removal might have some upside opportunities, though they are struggling now. So yes, revival might be likely. Mm -hmm. I see. You spoke quite a lot about the three main markets, so China, India, and, and Japan. But do you have a picture of things on the ground? So when it comes to consumer adoption uh, and penetration rates uh, at a household level, do you know what these look like for these markets? Um, so taking a global look, the mm. European countries are actually leading uh, as they had the head start in solar energy adoption. So they consume around, uh, I mean, solar PV is around 9%, whereas China is around 3.6% and the share is uh, lower than Japan. So uh, quite underpenetrated yet. Uh, in India, solar energy has not really accounted for a significant share of electricity consumption yet. So uh, there's a huge potential there. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any uh, pure downstream players uh, that, that uh, are leading, that are generating high profitability? Pure downstream players? No, not really. Not in Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, the company mm -hmm. we mentioned is Vivint Solar. And there is another player called Solar City, uh, who are pure downstream mm -hmm. players based on our research. But these players are in the US, 
and they too made losses though their margins are high now so uh, the fact is that being involved in the downstream does give the players a high margin and we know that in asia the trend is that the upstream and midstream players who already have the know how in solar business are taking up the downstream services as well mm -hmm. so they're trying to operate a vertically integrated supply chain hoping to take advantage of the margins from downstream so the point to note is that the upstream and about the upstream and downstream is that the upstream is more directly affected by supply issues demand and supply issues and therefore they see the volatility in business whereas uh, players who involve in the mid and downstream are less exposed to such risk so there are no pure downstream players as such but upstream and midstream players who are moving towards downstream as well increasing their presence rather in order to attain profitability i see uh, so I guess as a as a sort of final thought, of course, uh, solar energy companies are and the the sector of solar energy right now um, does have its uh, defenders and its detractors. So what uh, what would be your uh, sort of overall sentiment for the sector, uh, especially in Asia? Are you optimistic or or are you uh, more cautious? Um, optimistic with regards to the Indian players, a bit cautious mm -hmm. with the Chinese players right now. But yeah, India mm -hmm. and uh, even uh, the developing countries in ASEAN, there is a huge uh, potential demand to be tapped there. So yes, optimistic on that regard. Well, uh, we're just up uh, on time. So uh, thank you, Akila, very much for taking the time to talk to us today and answer our questions. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. If you have any further requests for Akila, please contact your Smart Karma account manager. And if you have any other questions, you can always email us at research at smartkarma.com. Uh, Akila, thank you once again very much. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you at the next one.